Okay, so we are starting our descent off the mountain. After many, 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 many weeks of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to the master teacher. Sitting at his feet and and hearing what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus, to, to live under the rule and reign of this king, this king Jesus, to embody uh, 24-7, 365, the way of the kingdom. We're descending back into the everyday, ordinary spaces of life, and we're about to, to step off the mountain, but we have two more weeks to go. And these next two weeks will help us kind of pull it all together to frame what we've been talking about in, in the last 17, 18 weeks. And as we conclude, uh, probably the most famous teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to live as a kingdom citizen. And so next week, we we come off the mountain and we look at uh, Matthew 7, 24 and 29. And and we're going to talk about all that has come before. And how we build our life on Jesus and the way of the kingdom. How we we, um, put into practice the ways of the things that we've been talking. But today we're looking at Matthew 7, 21 to 23 about true and false disciples. And this text, as I was looking at it, some people have called it the most scary text in the whole scriptures. Kind of wish I could have preached this like about a month ago at Halloween, right? Scary text of scripture. Maybe that's something we should do sometime. Get all the scary texts of scripture. But before we jump into Matthew 7, 21 to 23, we need to remember, again, context. Context is super important. Someone said a, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Probably should slow that down. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. So you've got to understand the, the context. And so last week... Steve shared 15 to 20, verse, verses 15 to 20, about true and false prophets. And according to Jesus, by their fruit you will recognize them. In fact, it repeats that twice, by, your fruit, by their fruit. So keep that in mind, the idea of fruit and being recognized by our fruit, because it's going to come important for what comes after that. And so we are looking at Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And these these are, it's important to say, these are the words of Jesus himself. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
enter in the name, drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So what do we see? Right from the start, he uses two words. Not everyone. Remember when we talked about the two gates, the narrow and the wide? The narrow path and the broad way that leads to destruction? But, so we, we see that not everyone pretty clear. It says not everyone. So it's not all people. But what's really interesting is what he says next. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the way of the kingdom. It's, it's not someone who doesn't recognize the lordship of Jesus. It's not someone who says, yeah, no thanks, I'm not interested. Or I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need you. I don't want to follow your way. I don't believe in Jesus. He's not saying that. He's saying not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And so there is some kind of mental assent, some kind of belief structure in place because you just don't call him Lord, Lord without some kind of mental assent to it or some kind of faith, right? That these people would probably call themselves Christians or they would be, they would agree, like, you know, if you handed them a, a, a theological exam and, you know, it was like, just write down the answers, they would probably hit all doctrinally good beliefs. They would be, you know, super religious, but Jesus says it right there. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, who, not, who, not everyone who makes a faith statement enters into the kingdom. Now, I think we've got to understand, again, and this may seem like we're going back in time, we've got to unpack what it means by kingdom of heaven. And according, I, I, I found a quote out of this, out of the New Testament, out of the uh, New International Version Study Bible, says this, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 33 times in the book of Matthew. And, and this is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is the preaching of Jesus as recounted by the gospels is the establishment of God's rule and reign in the hearts and lives of his people. The overcoming of all the forces of evil, the removal from the world of all the consequences of sin, including death, and all that diminishes life, and the creation of a new order of righteousness and peace. The idea of God's kingdom is central to Jesus' teaching and is mentioned 50 times in Matthew alone. Again, if Jesus, if something happens over and over and over again, or is mentioned over and over and over again, it's got to be important. And here Jesus is talking about the kingdom in Matthew alone 50 times. So that should clue us. Also, when it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom, there is only one other place where the phrase, enter the kingdom, happens. It's only two chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness suppresses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So I did some back work and I looked back at what we talked about that day when we talked about that text. And this is what I said. I, I, I quote, I'm quoting myself. So this is what this brilliant theologian said many, many weeks ago. I mean, I shouldn't have to. You probably have it memorized. It says this. <laughs> what did I say? Right, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, it says this. And hopefully you'll see some connections. Now, so often when we talk about the Pharisees, we use traditional negative descriptions. We think in terms of self-righteous, hypocritical, sanctimonious, and we see that this is much of how the Pharisees are presented in the story, but do we realize that they had much of a positive influence over the Jewish community in the day of Jesus? In fact, believe it or not, the Pharisees shared many beliefs with Jesus. They both believed that the law and the prophets dealt with and some way applied to all of life. They believed in a general resurrection, a future reward, a future punishment, along with the spiritual realm of angels and demons. But, when they diver- but where they diverge is right here in verse 20. Jesus' hearers, they no doubt thought that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the most righteous people on the face of the planet. But as we see throughout the entirety of the Gospels, they were a mile wide and an inch deep. And it was about the external practice and receiving the rewards of that, people's praise and honor. But as Jesus said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus desires citizens of his kingdom to honor him with lips, speech, hands, and actions because their hearts are in alignment with his heart. That citizens of God's kingdom have a beating heart that beats in rhythm with his and breaks with the things that break his heart. A fully aligned heart and hands, both internal and external love for God and for humanity. So hopefully you, you can see the connection that is in that place, in between 520 and where we are this morning. Fully aligned, hearts, hands, head. All of it. It's not, I don't think it's enough just to say, Lord, Lord. It's not enough to just do service and use your hands to be a blessing. It's not just enough to have a heart that may be full of compassion and empathy. Jesus wants the whole package. There is a canyon that can exist between those all, all those things. Someone said that the, the widest canyon that exists is the 18 inches from here, from the head, to the heart. We all, if we're honest, say or think or believe something that would be right but then it doesn't make its way to the heart and it doesn't flow out to the hands Lord, Lord they say and then they even say about the things that we... So here's what we've done in your name. They've acted out in his name. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
Did we not drive out demons? And did we not perform medical, many miracles? And somehow that doesn't cut it. What's the fruit? What's the reason? What's internally driving these, the people that he's talking about? Do you notice all these things... Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not do miracles? They're all big and flashy. It's almost, hey, look at us. Look how spiritual we are. Look how religious we are. Look how amazing we are. I mean, it's what the Pharisees were attacked for over and over again. Nowhere in this whole text that we've been looking at is about the flashy. Is about the big and the dramatic. In fact, it's kind of small. It's kind of a seedling, right? It's kind of the day-in, day-out, ordinary things of life transformed by the way of the Spirit. To have an aligned heart, hands, and head. A writer, Max Dupre, says, Beliefs shape practices. If you want to know what you truly believe, you only need to examine your behavior. So the question is, if Lord, Lord is not enough to enter the kingdom, and the actions of the prophesying, driving out demons, and performing miracles in Jesus' name, then are we all in trouble? Will any of us enter into the kingdom? He said, he, Jesus gets at that, right? He says, only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So that answers, that asks a whole other question. What is the will of our Father in heaven? Because if that's what it means to, to be able to enter the kingdom, we've got to figure that out. A, uh, a associate professor of New Testament in, at Fuller Theological Seminary, Richard Beaton, says this. Jesus offers a provocative statement that sharpens the discussion regarding who is truly a disciple. Not everyone who says or affirms that Jesus is the risen Lord and Lord of the lives will enter the kingdom of heaven on that future day. It is only those who actually do the will of God who will be permitted entry. This very sounds very similar to what is read in the epistle of James. In other words, faith without works is dead. For Jesus, it is the manner in which life is lived out that demonstrate whether or not someone is honestly one of his people, his true disciples. Words apparently do not matter that much. And then he goes on. This is a powerful passage that gets at the heart of Jesus' message. To be a follower of Jesus means that behaviors and actions the manner in which we live out our daily lives are the artifacts of the inner life of faith. More to the point, mere words, performance of deeds, even miraculous ones done in the name of Jesus or random deeds of mercy will not affect one's eternal destiny. Religiosity will not help either. So, what does it mean to do the will of our Father who is in heaven? How do we align our hearts, heads, and hands? Hopefully, 
as we get off the mountain, we realize we just look back up the mountain and everything that we have been talking about from, I think in July is when we started this, till now, everything we've been talking about week in and week out is what it means to do the will of our Father. That it's not just about what we say we believe. We don't just have some flashy religious practices. No, we live out the ways of the kingdom as expressed in the life of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We become citizens of his kingdom through living out Matthew 5 to 7. We we realize those who do the will of God our Father are those who are blessed. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like being poor in spirit. It looks like those who mourn. It looks like those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and justice. It's the merciful. It's the pure in heart. It's the peacemakers. It's the ones who are persecuted. Those who do the will of the Father live as salt and light. Those who live in full alignment, heart, hands, and head. There are those who are forgiving. Those who are faithful. Those who are true. Those who love their enemies and are committed to the nonviolent ways of Jesus. It's those who do the will of the Father are those who practice spiritual practices such as giving and prayer and fasting. It's those who store up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. It's those who trust in the goodness of God to provide day in and day out. It's those who say, and this has been one of my prayers of the last week, has been crucify my anxiety and my worry. Because I realize I worry way too much and I'm anxious way too much have lots of things that I could get anxious and worried about. And I want Jesus to crucify that. And to be able to say, God, you are enough. And you're good. And probably is one of the hardest things to do. And those who do the will of the Father are those who are not judgmental, who are not condemning. It's those who pray and trust that God is is really good. And once our flourishing, once our human flourishing, it's those who choose the, the narrow gate, the narrow road that leads to life and not the broad road that leads to death. It's those who are a good tree and have good fruit. But there's more to it than embodying the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God. We are called to be citizens of the kingdom and live out the ways of the kingdom. But this, this is... This is really interesting. The very end of it. He says this phrase. I never knew you. Now I don't know if you've heard. If you've followed. For the last couple of years. This, all this talk about deconstruction. And deconversion. And people like leaving the faith. Or changing the way they believe. And there's been so many reactions from some people who say, well, they were never Christians in the first place. And I'm like, you're so confident of that? I don't know. I don't know who is 
following Jesus and who doesn't. And that's none of my business. That's God's business. But this word, I never knew you. It's really interesting. Because so often what do we talk about? We talk about knowing Jesus and making him known. Or we know Jesus. But let's flip it. Somehow, some way, Jesus either knows us or doesn't know us. What does it mean as a citizen of the kingdom to be known by Jesus? That's going to be scary, right? Because he knows your inmost thoughts, your inmost being, who you really are deep, deep down, no matter what clothes you put on, what mask you wear, how you pretend to live out the way faithfully, Jesus knows you in and out and loves you still. There's a C.S. Lewis um, book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader from the Narnia series, right? Many of us have read this. But there's a part, there's this, there's this um, communication, this dialogue between two people. Edmund, who you know, is full-on walking after Aslan. And then you have Eustace. And I believe Eustace is the one who ended up being like a dragon. Which is such a beautiful, I mean, that's a whole other beautiful thing. But in this conversation, Eustace says, and he's like, you know, a little, um, what's the right word? Uh, he likes to push and prod. He doesn't really believe all that Aslan stuff. He says to, he says to, to, um, to Edmund, who is Aslan? Do you know him? To which Edmund replies, well, he knows me. He's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. Now, I mean, we all know that C.S. Lewis is writing and Aslan is, is, a, is a type of Christ figure, right? Well, Jesus knows me. He is the great Lord, the son of the Father, who saved me and saved the cosmos. Jesus knows me. So that's the question. What does that even mean? So that's the question we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the text and belief and works. We're going to talk about what does it look like to practically live out the way of the Father, the will of the Father, and... That's the other question, too, is what does it mean to you, to me, to be known by Jesus?